Hi, this is Steve. If you listen to The Cinephiles, you might have heard me talk about my theory that no matter how successful they are, comedy actors only have a few years on top. Eddie Murphy absolutely dominated the mid-80s. Adam Sandler made hit after hit in the late 90s. And no one was making funnier movies in the 2000s than Will Ferrell. And in my opinion, the best of those movies is 2004's Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. There is something so ridiculously unique about Will Ferrell's style of comedy. It's not just his talent for creating over-the-top characters. It's not just that he's being gloriously and intentionally silly. It's that he knows he's being silly, and we know he's being silly. And he knows that we know he's being silly. In fact, we're all in on the joke, and that's what makes it so much fun. And if Will Ferrell's not enough for you, Anchorman also has an unbelievably funny supporting cast with Christina Applegate, Paul Rudd, and the stunningly, impossibly hilarious Steve. Carell. And if that's not enough, we can add a whole bunch of guest appearances that I'll let you discover on your own. In case you haven't figured it out, I really like this movie. And if you haven't seen it, I insist you go right now to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream the movie through Amazon Prime. Then come back on Friday to hear John and I discuss one of the funniest films of the last decade, Will Ferrell's Anchorman, the legend of Ron Burgundy. I'm not a baby. I'm a man. I am an anchor man. You are not a man. You are a big fat joke. I'm a man who discovered the wheel and built the Eiffel Tower out of metal and brawn. That's what kind of man I am. You're just a woman with a small brain, with a brain a third the size of us. It's science. <laughs> Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, writer, producer over at Collider and assorted other podcasts, and a massive fan of the movie we're going to be talking about today, uh, and an unusual choice that we've made for The Cinephiles, but one that I'm very much looking forward to. Well, you know, we wanted to do something a little light. This is actually a Patreon pick, and it's a Patreon pick of not one, not two, but three of our Patreons. Wow. So it is an unusual choice in some ways, but it also is a po- choice that has been demanded of us, and it's been demanded from Clay Williams. Of course, Clay is course. a good friend of the show, Mackenzie Homer, and Stanley Daniel. These nice. are three big Cinephiles fans, and they are three big fans of the movie Anchorman, and we would love to hear why they picked it. Hi, John and Steve. This is Stan Daniel from Louisville, Kentucky. I chose Anchorman as one of my Patreon picks as it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Comedy is hard, comedy is subjective, but this one hits all the beats for me. It's original, it's absurd, it has great characters, it has great cameos. Virtually every line is quotable. I have the great memory to this day of being in the theater, seeing it for the first time, just hoping for an amusing night out. I started giggling during the credits and laughed through the entire 90-minute run. 15 years later, I'm still laughing at this one. Can't wait to hear you guys talk about it. Thanks so much. Well. There's a lot there. Yeah. There were some different voices, some characters, some quotes. (laughs) I think they did a fine job. I do, too. And I feel like I also have to offer a bit of full disclosure. Uh Uh-oh. Which is we're sitting here at Collider. Yes. And just a few minutes ago, you finished recording one of the greatest podcasts in the world, (laughs) Top Ten Show. Thank you. With your co-host, Matt Nost. Yes. And while you were doing that, I was sitting across the street at the bar at Wood Ranch Barbecue. Mm -hmm. And I sat down to have a nice meal. I had a salad. And I was thinking as I was about to order. 
you know, what would I have to drink? And the bartender walked up and said, what would you like to drink? And I said, without thinking about it, a Jack and Diet Coke. Right. And he asked me, would you like a single or a double? And I said, without thinking about it, a double. And then a few minutes later, after I had been eating my salad, I ate some delicious garlic rolls Mm -hmm. and my drink had reached its bottom. And he came back and he said, you want another? And I had already decided I shouldn't have another because I've got to report a podcast. You know what I said? Sure. You'll have another. So I had two double Jack and Diet Cokes and now I'm sitting down having a podcast which – with you, which seems strangely appropriate for Anchorman. I agree. That I got a little bit of a buzz. It's also appropriate that you forgot the dinner rolls. <laughs> you did not put that on your text. I feel like I put dinner rolls on no, the text. No, no. I did pick up. John texted me drunk. and said, "I." he said, get me a tri-tip salad and a Diet Coke. And some garlic rolls. Oh, shit. <laughs> you drunk. You lush. Listen, <laughs> I think this is very clear that... John is 100% right. <laughs> only, only a drunk Steve would forget the carbohydrates. Those are nice garlic rolls. I apologize, sir. That's all right. This might be the roughest thing that's happened to the cinephiles <laughs> in a long time. Fair enough. I will make it up to you. No, that's all right. Last thing I need is carbs. I put on so much weight, I'm disgusting to look at. I ate those. I ate, the, I ate my garlic I'm rolls. Sure, I'm sure you enjoyed delightful. them. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about Anchorman and um, – this is 2004. Mm-hmm. This is Will Ferrell. This is Adam McKay. And this began when they were uh, – Adam was writing on Saturday Night Live and Will obviously was a huge star in Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And that is – it's so funny with SNL because it has those – a golden era and then a dry era. And you go, oh, maybe that's it for Saturday Night Live. And then there's another golden era. And it's happened so many times that I kind of go, oh, I actually don't think, oh, maybe it will never come back because it always seems to. Yeah. There, there's always people who want – to be part of that legendary yeah. place and show. And Will Ferrell certainly was there for a golden moment. Mm-hmm. And they'd come up with a couple of scripts. And this idea started because uh, Will saw an interview with a 70s anchorman talking about how sexist they were. <laughs> really? Yep. And that gave wow. him the whole idea for the movie. And, That's uh, genius, actually. Yes. And, you, and they, they had pitched some other shows in Hollywood, which didn't go well at all. And do you know who came along and said he would shepherd this sh- film to fruition? Lorne Michaels. That seems like the obvious choice. Right. I want you to take that choice and I want you to think for the furthest from Lorne Michaels you could get to. That's, Quentin Tarantino. That is damn close. Okay. Paul Thomas Anderson. PTA? PTA. Really? Said, I love your work. You work on a new script and I'm going to help you out. That's great. Isn't that amazing? Wow. They came back with a script that had a hippie biker gang and a kidnapping and (laughs) guns and all sorts of insanity. And PTA slowly backed away from the project (laughs) and said, you know what, fellas? I don't think I'm your guy for this. And that is a choice that he says he regretted forever. There was also, by the way, a musical number with sharks. That's well, which comes back in the sequel. Yeah. Oh, is that it? So I've never seen the sequel. Nor should you. That's what I've heard. You should not well, see this. Well, this sequel. goes back to my theory that I've talked about many times mm-hmm. on the show that the greatest funny people in the world are only funny for a few movies. Yeah. It, they just – and I think Will Ferrell at this era is one of the funniest people in the world. Jerry Lewis is the only one. And Chaplin, I guess. Chaplin. Who were consistent. I'll, I'll give you Chaplin. Yeah, who were consistent. 
who were consistent on a wide range for a number of years. You know, consistently popular with the mass audiences and people patronize their films at large volume. Uh, I think it's Chaplin and and, uh, and uh, Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Those are the only two, I think. Well, and what I will agree with you on is that Jerry Lewis certainly sustained a yes. ton of movies mm-hmm. that were hugely successful for a long period of time. I don't love them as much as you do, but I appreciate that a lot of people did. Yes. Yes. Um, and that is the extent of my pre-production. Oh, there we go. So so look, sometimes we go deep, deep, deep into the details on the cinephiles and maybe Anchorman, we will go shallow, shallow, <laughs> shallow. As we should. Much like the character of the beautiful Ron Burgundy. Would you like to enter into the world? Oh boy, would I. Of Anchorman. Oh, let's do it. I'm oh. sorry, I forgot something. Yeah. I've been drinking. Our most important question that we always ask, John, how did you first come to this film? I ask, Already, I believe, knowing the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think it was seen with Vogel and a couple other people. Oh, I, I don't know if you were I in think the I was cr- there. Yeah, and I remember we sat, and this is weird, so some films just stay with you. I remember we sat on the left side of the theater and a little higher up uh, than we normally sit for movies. And I remember watching this thing, and I didn't laugh as much as I was hoping to laugh. Mm. It was in subsequent viewings that I fell madly in love with this film, and enjoyed the comedy and enjoyed the nuance of the comedy that was going on, which you wouldn't initially think the film had. But as you spend more time with it, you can see what they're trying to uh, parody and spoof. Well, I don't know if nuance is a word I would have ever ascribed to Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. But Mm. I'll tell you something. Maybe I haven't watched it enough because I saw it, I think, with you pretty close to opening night. And that was the last time I saw it until last week. Wow. I've seen it twice. I mean, I've kind of watched more parts of it more than once since right, then right, to right. be clear about it for the show. And Karen and I watched it uh, last week mm-hmm. and we laughed our asses off. Yes. And we kept going. And I knew it was funny because I remembered it being really mm-hmm. funny. And we kept going, man, this movie's really funny. Yes. No, this is really funny. No, this movie is really funny. Nuance, you're going to have to convince me of. We'll see. Well, the sexual politics are very nuanced as you watch. The I don't movie. think they're nuanced at all, but I certainly think they're there. Well, the overt, there's an overt yeah. uh, approach to it, but then underneath the overtness is another message going on, which I think is brilliant too. But we'll talk about. It. Well, and what's interesting about the film is apparently it's based on actual events. Yeah, no surprise. That's what the text that comes on the screen says. Mm-hmm. And the next thing the text says is only the names, locations, and events have changed. <laughs> this is also Judd Apatow. Yeah. Who is a – at this era, he's just killing it. Mm-hmm. And he's – I don't think he's a producer or director that we've talked about yet on the show. I don't think so either, yeah. Another one I'd love to – I love Old School and I love old great. Wedding Crashers. Yes. There's a bunch of them at this era that are really, really funny. I'll even defend uh, 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 40 – what is it? Old, what is it? The 41? 40-year-old virgin? No, no. There's another one he did with Paul Rowe when they're older. Oh, oh, oh. With um, – I haven't seen it. Is yeah. it This Is 40? Yeah, This Is 40. I haven't seen it. I, I enjoyed that movie very much. I will defend that movie. And this narrator comes on and tells us about the world of San Diego and news anchors and that they were basically much like gods. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. And suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. In other words, Ron Burgundy was the Bulls. Ron Burgundy. Yeah. 
By the way, that voiceover guy is Bill something, uh, and he does he did all the A and E nineties sure. documentaries and uh, court case uh, shows that they had back then. He, as a voiceover artist, me he was an idol of mine because he's so smooth in that and as a narrator. Well, and so is Ron Burgundy, and I love yeah. that that his in the long list of superlatives it ends with, in other words, Ron Burgundy was the balls. <laughs> uh, and we get the moment before the newscast where Ron Burgundy is warming up and we this is the thing that Will Farrell is the best at, particularly in this era, is just the 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 you know they're just doing take after take and they're saying do another funny thing yeah, do another funny yeah. thing and this is where we get how now brown cow and ribs for lunch and him flirting with the, in a sexist way with the women walking by and then we get my favorite I love scotch I love scotch I love scotch scotch is got scotch here it goes down down into my belly Mm-mm-mm. he's so damn funny he is. And it's very funny. So here's here's as I'm watching all of these funny things that he's saying. This is the note that I wrote to myself. Yeah, this is all amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that Fred Willard is there. He's sort of the producer of the new show. And we talk about that everyone in San Diego tuned in to Ron Burgundy at at uh, six o'clock. And we do the uh, we enter into the show and we meet the team. And the team is, I mean, these guys at this era. Particularly Paul Rudd, and to me, how much did had you seen Steve Carell before this movie? Uh, well, yeah, I'd seen him on the Daily Show. Yeah, me so too. I knew about him, but nowhere did I see he was going to be a star. Well, like, and this movie, I remember when I saw it in the theater, and I just went, "Oh my God, he's one of the funniest humans I've ever seen in my entire life." Yeah, the stuff Steve Carell does in this movie is so insane yeah. and so odd and so hilarious, and I highly recommend it. Maybe I'll put it on the Facebook page. Uh, is the the they ha- on YouTube is the is Steve Carell's audition for this part? Yeah, and you see it right then. And I was talking to Karen, who my wife was, as you know, is a casting director, and saying, "Have you ever seen this?" And she said like three times. Three times she's had auditions where someone came in and was just literally had the whole group, uh, whole casting group on the floor. And strangely enough, they don't always get cast. Yeah. You know? Right. Because executives and producers and networks don't always go, they don't always see it. It's always chemistry too. Yeah. And the other thing that's happening as we go onto the air with our team is that all across San Diego, the entire world has tuned into this. Everyone from the biker bar to a little baby mm-hmm. who actually talks about Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. Oh my gosh, she said her first words. And the last thing he says is his catchphrase. You stay classy, San Diego. And all of San Diego repeats it. You stay classy, San Diego. Well, and here's the deal. This is this immediately puts you into the world of what it was like in the 70s, right? There was only three or four networks. Um, these were the sports ca- these were the newscasters that were considered like like they say gods, but also because people relied on them to tell yeah. them the truth. This concept of fake news was so foreign to even consider back then because this is the era of that that was coming right after Cronkite and right after uh, Harry Re- Roger Mudd and all these like they, sure. there was more there was more faith given to anchors uh, in these big cities because the, you ha- you could say there's no way this one's gonna he's gonna lie to me or not tell me the truth this is the actual truth they're reporting on yep. it and whatever channel uh, ABC NBC or CBS was strong in that particular city. The best anchor worked there and was considered to be, uh, in essence, uh, the 
the fact teller or right. the, the like in old times, the olden times, the storyteller right. for the campfire. In essence, I'm going to say something. I'm, this might be the only time I try to say something deep in the entire yeah. Anchorman podcast. All right. But what what you just said reminds me of something that we talked about, particularly in the right stuff. But mm-hmm. we also talked about it in Apollo 13. Is this idea of the presenting a certain idealized version of America and that the astronauts in those films were required to present themselves as flawless, to put forth the perfect American dream of the astronaut warrior hero patriot. And that even though in those films you see that those people are not that at all with the exception of John Glenn, that they're actually flawed and human and arrogant and they know that they're being full of shit, but it's important that they're full of shit and it's important that we have the full of shit people pretending to be the ideals that we could believe in. I think that all those people you mentioned, Cronkite and all those guys, of course they were not perfect. Of course they were only telling their particular version of the truth. Mm -hmm. Of course they had to make editorial decisions and they left things out and they made mistakes all the time. And yet is it better to have the view of the perfect thing – even though no, that thing might actually be flawed, or is it better to tear down the perfect thing and ta- call everything flawed? Yeah. Right now we're in the world where everything's been torn down. Yep. That's the end of the deepness. We move on. For you. All right. For, fair enough. For me. You can, yeah. be, you can be deep all you want. We'll get, we're going to get in deep. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, we have a, a close-up of Ron. He's saying something very serious. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent... And horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! Cannonball! <laughs> um, and we are at a big party with Ron Burgundy and all the guys. And I love, by the way, just the quick cuts of our guys. We have Brian, wait, what's his last name? Oh, Paul, uh, Brian Fantana. Brian Fantana, who's got a gun for some reason. Yeah, well, because that's what you did in the 70s. I know what you're asking yourself, and the answer is yes. I have a nickname for my penis. It's called the Octagon. But I also nickname my testes. My left one is James Westfall, and my right one is Dr. Kenneth Noisewater. You ladies play your cards right. You just might get to meet the whole gang. <laughs> that is uh, – Paul Rudd is so damn funny. Oh, yeah. And and this is him just kind of coming on mm-hmm. to being a star. <clears throat> yes, agreed. And then we go to Champ. Champ kind. <laughs> Whammy. <laughs> Whammy. Champ here. I'm all about having fun. You know, get a couple of cocktails in me, start a fire in someone's kitchen, maybe go to SeaWorld, take my pants off. <laughs> That's a sportscaster. That's with a sportscaster back then. Yep. And then Steve Carell. I'm Rick Tamlin. People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. I like to eat ice cream and I really enjoy a nice pair of slacks. Years later, a doctor will tell me that I have an IQ of 48 and I'm what some people call mentally retarded. I have to point out the years later. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's such a great non-sequitur, nonsensical, non-grammatical joke. Right. And I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And he plays it so straight. It's perfect. Ironically, like a newscaster. Ironically. Yeah, telling you the truth about himself. It's like he – I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. It's like he's leading, reading off the, the cue cards. Exactly. And 
Paul Rudd introduces some girls to Ron Burgundy and there's some flirtation, but that flirtation is cut off very quickly because who should walk by but Christina Applegate. Yeah. Veronica Corningstone. Yeah. And he immediately is into her. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's that lady? The soundtrack is really good. Oh, great. Best of the 70s. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. And uh, he comes up to Christina Applegate and says, I saw you from across the party and uh, I don't usually do this, but I felt compelled to tell you something. You have an absolutely breathtaking hiney. I mean, that thing is good. I want to be friends with it. (laughs) How would you describe... Will Ferrell's performance of Ron Burgundy? Uh, I think it's one of the most brilliant and comedic performances I've ever seen. Um, And also one that although he's being sexist, he's being uh, obnoxious, he's being disrespectful, you also sense that this this guy has too stupid to know better. Oh yeah, but he's and he has a, a legitimate like vulnerability and softness to him. That will show itself later on, but you can tell just from that beginning because of the clumsy, awkward nature of which he's hitting on her. Clumsy, awkward, and arrogant. Yes. That's the sort of weird combo. And I'll say something else, which is I've been thinking about how to articulate it the right way. Mm. There is a particular brand of silliness in this movie. Yes. That is – so we when we did um, Dr. Strangelove mm-hmm. – Everyone is being very serious and we're dealing with serious situations. Yes. Extremely serious, serious as anything in the world. And the comedy comes from the humanness within the serious situations that, yeah. that can you believe all these ridiculous things are happening when the world's about to end? When we did uh, Young Frankenstein, mm. uh, I was going through thinking about the other comedies that we've done. Gene Wilder, 100% intense. Serious. There's nothing of him being f- the funniest comes out of the series. Yes. When we did Airplane, nobody knows they're being funny. Mm-hmm. They're just saying things totally, completely straight. Right. In this movie, I feel like part of the fun comes from the fact that we know it's Will Ferrell. And we know Will Ferrell is playing this part. Yeah. And we know that this part is silly. And he knows that we know that it's silly. And it's sort of we're all playing this ridiculous fun game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he, the, the, the things in this are so silly that there's, no, there's very little seriousness here. It's all being over the top and yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. And, and I was thinking about how malleable and changing comedy is in that sense. Mm-hmm. And he continues to flirt with him. He talks about uh, his apartment, which smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> um, And he is not getting anywhere with this girl. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. I'm very happy for you. He keeps trying things. He says, I want to be on you. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because he's never had to work this hard. No. Everything's Ron Burgundy. Yeah, it's Ron Burgundy. But she is making it so he is like running out of uh, ideas here. And as naturally stupid as he is at times, he is awkwardly stumbling over himself trying to present his attraction to her in a way that's palatable to her, but is just failing at the task on so many levels. And in the end, she just walks away. She does. Ron Burgundy strikes out, my friend. Yeah. And he ends up back at his apartment, which is beautiful 70s set design, and he's got his dog. Baxter. 
Baxter is a great yeah. dog, and he has a whole conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't see – I didn't watch all the deleted scenes. I know I should have. Oh. I'm sure there's a whole bunch more yes. – with Baxter. And I love that he gets to surface like, Baxter, you know I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> you ate a whole wheel of cheese? <laughs> I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. But that's the thing. Those were probably all ad lib lines. That he, who course. knows how many he came in and said to Baxter? Well, do you know? So, do you know? So, I finally found out the term for this. This is called Linorama. Line-O-Rama. Line-O-Rama. Okay. And this is what this is. And for all you uh, directors out there who want to direct comedy, if you are lucky enough to find a performer at the level of Will Ferrell yeah. or the level of Melissa McCarthy or of Eddie Murphy or of one of these people, this is what Line-O-Rama is. you got a script. And the script has some jokes in the script. And now there's going to be a joke where he says an insulting thing or an insensitive thing or a stupid thing or whatever it is. Yeah. And you do it. And you get you do take one. It's pretty good. You do take two. Pretty good. Do take three. Really good. You say, OK, I got it. And now you say, let's do it again. Will, what else do you got? Yeah. And he comes up with something new. Great Odin's beard. By the hammer of Thor. By the this. By the that. That is called Linorama. Hmm. Fill in the blank with another joke, another joke, another joke. And if you go on YouTube and you search for Linorama, you will see from Bridesmaids, from all these other movies, these actors – Coming up with a new one and a new one. And that's why I never saw it, but that's why there's multiple cuts of Anchorman 2. Oh. Because they just took out one set of jokes yes. and they put in the other set of jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the only actor that I've worked with that I that could do this was our friend Soren Oliver. Oh, yeah. Soren Oliver, we did it a couple of times. He said, do another one. Mm-hmm. Do another. And he would just come up with another funny thing. He's a funny guy, Soren. He's a very funny guy. Intelligence health. Um so uh, – and then, of course, they're sleeping, sleeping with his dogs in matching pajamas and headgear. It's yeah. very funny. Uh, Words the next day, everyone's kind of hungover. <laughs> I, love, I love the way they set up the Steve Carell one-liners. Each one saying how they – what happened at the party and they got drunk and Champ woke up this morning in some Japanese family's rec room. <laughs> uh, Brick, which is Steve Carell. Oh, yeah. I ate a big red candle. And then there's the silence after that. Just sort of the pause before they go on makes right. me laugh. Well, of course, and they're taking shot at weather uh, taking shot at weathermen. That that job is so easy in San Diego because you're just going to say it's sunny all the time right. that you can't possibly be intelligent to do it. So it's their <laughs> shot at weathermen. Yeah. It really is. It's a brilliantly like again, it's stuff that's working underneath everything you're watching that I think it makes the comedy subconsciously so much more uh, enjoyable than other comedies. No disrespect to the fine meteorologists working today. Yeah, right. You are doing excellent work. Yes, you are. Um, and this is the first time we hear about what is going to be the big story of the whole movie, which is there is a pregnant panda at the zoo. Yes. So in, remember I mentioned the hippie biker gang in the earlier versions of the script? Right. They shot that whole thing. That was the original movie. Oh. There was all sorts of parts of the deleted scenes. They shot it all. I think that they that baby... Uh, Christina Applegate got kidnapped for the hippie biker gang or whatever. Okay. And they had screenings of it and it did not fly. <laughs> what a show. And they threw the whole thing out and they shot new stuff. And <laughs> again, this goes to something we talked about over and over again. Things look good on the page. You shoot them. It actually doesn't work. There are n- no brilliant directors, I think, who actually just imagine everything ahead of time and it all works. Yeah. And they took the hippie biker gang thing and they actually cut a whole film out of it. Which is like Wake Up Ron Burgundy or oh, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, like the that. addendum thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen it. Okay. Well, what, why? You've only seen the movie once. That's How would fair. you have seen it? That is a fair point, yeah. sir. Um, 
And we cut to some beautiful legs getting out of the taxi, and we all know what's going to happen. Veronica Corningstone is showing up at the newsroom. Ron, are you paying attention? Nope. Well, this concerns all of us. Okay. Keeping that in mind, I'd like to introduce the latest addition to the KVWN news team, directly from WYPN in Asheville, North Carolina, Ms. Veronica Corningstone. Hello, everyone. And is all the news team really happy about all this? No, they are not. They are not thrilled. Don't get me wrong. Women really rev my engine. (laughs) They don't belong in a newsroom. Um, I love that they're all in a room yelling about, you know, they don't belong in a newsroom. You know, they can't be angry. Then Carell yells, I don't know what we're yelling about. (laughs) He cracks me up throughout the entire film. Listen, I use that still. (laughs) When people are yelling around me, I'll just go, I don't know what we're yelling about. Or on Twitter sometimes when you see, you know, Trump or a sort of other people going nuts on Twitter, I just will comment back like, I don't know what we're yelling about because it's, it's ridiculous. I, I, I've done that in my own family. <laughs> um, uh, and, of course, as everyone's mad about her showing up, Ron says she has beautiful eyes and she smells like cinnamon. Right. Um, Involuntarily, he yeah. can't go along with the guys, right? Why? Because he's he actually isn't a sexist. He just doesn't know – no, he How, is a sexist. Well, he's a sexist who's attracted to this person. Right, but it's it, when she says she wants to be an anchor, he thinks it's a joke. He's a sexist. But he's a, but it's a, but the impulse is not there to be overtly sexist. Champ Kind is overtly sexist. Brian Fantana overtly sexist. With Ron, it's more of a struggle for him, which is what makes him such an a likable protagonist in the movie because he is struggling against it's like when everyone else is yelling He's actually complimenting her. He's complimenting her because he's attracted to her. Well, sure. But that doesn't make him less sexist. I just, I think that, but the way he's complimenting her is not like, she's got a great ass, got big boobs. That's sexist. I believe the first thing he said to her was that she has a great hiney and he would like to be on it. Hiney, right. (laughs) You didn't say ass. You're saying the, the. I'm saying it's the approach. (laughs) She's <laughs> saying it's okay if you I didn't use... say it's okay. I did not say it was okay. <laughs> I'm saying it's a more palatable approach when it's clumsy and awkward and you're not using the more brutal terms or obnoxious terms in that situation. Whereas Fantana, you know, would say the more graphically brutal things. Sure. I mean, naming your penis and your, your testicles, that's a level of hubris I don't understand. Sure. But not sexist. Fantana's sexist. He is. Right. But, but not, not but n- naming your genitals is not sexist. I feel like it is sexist. A little bit. <laughs> Who are weird. you? You should name your genitals, for God's sake. I think you could you could name any body part you want. It's a free country. <sighs> if you if you solve cancer with it, then okay, fine. <laughs> is I that the like, bar? I feel like for me that's the bar. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we're outside. Yeah. They're eating and walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ron is kind of talking about her feelings and that maybe they shouldn't be so mean. That's what I'm saying. It's not, it's attracted beyond attract. He's not a, attracted her just physically to sleep with her. He legitimately has feelings for her already from the beginning. I agree. He senses something different here than he's sensed before. And guess sure. what? That's what happens in life. You will go date men or go date uh, women and there sometimes it's just a one night stand or a, a sexual thing and sometimes it's a, da- a dating situation that doesn't work out but then every once in a while someone will cut through everything and you're just like immediately 
you know this is relationship material. And Ron certainly feels that way. Yes. But the other guys think that she's just something to be conquested. Exactly. And they sort of are like, let the games begin, which means all of them are going to come on the Corningstone. And Ron is not necessarily so thrilled about this plan. And as they're walking, who do they run into? But the rival news crew. Right. Channel 9, lead anchor. I forget the guy's name. It's Vince Vaughn. <laughs> it's Vince Vaughn, yeah. This is a great – not only is this a great, interesting guest stars shot, show up, but there are a bunch of actors oh, that yeah. show up that are like, oh, my God. Yeah. This person's going to be a big person. Well, it tells you the extent, too, of Adam McKay's reach or Will Ferrell's reach or even SNL's reach. Right. That all well, these – Well, and Judd Apatow. And Judd Apatow, right. That yeah. all the – right, right, because Judd Apatow is very big in the world of comedy even at this point because he had – he had so many great connections with great comedians. He's able to reach out. Hey, can you come and shoot for a day on this? Can you come and do a quick cameo? Blah, blah, blah. Because like you said, there's a lot of actors that we're going to talk about coming up here that have small bit cameos in the film. But it adds so much flavor to it. Well, well, well. Ron Burgundy and the Channel 4 News Team. And they have some conflict because Vince is – Pissed off that basically he's number two. He's number two. And in the end, that's what Ron throws at him, and they walk away, and yeah. Vince is left pretty darn angry. You know those sample audiences aren't big enough. Stop hiding behind those phony numbers, Burgundy. I'm coming after you. I hate you, Ron Burgundy. I hate you. Dorothy Mantooth is a saint. <laughs> I will take out your mother for a nice dinner and not call her. The I'm fascinated a little bit by running jokes in movies. Mm. And one of the running jokes in this movies is that Fred Willard is always on the phone with something about his son yeah. <laughs> going increasingly horrible. Right, but I think my son is just going through a phase. I have no idea where he would have gotten a hold of German pornography. By the way, in the outtakes, did you see who the son is? No. Shows up. It's Justin Long. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. That makes sense. And Christina Applegate, I'm sorry, uh, Veronica Corningstone has been assigned to a cat fashion show because she's going to get assigned to the softer right. uh, news stories. Although we did see Ron Burgundy in a – it was like a water skiing chipmunk or something. Well, no. He was of... anchoring though. But he was anchoring. Right. So someone else had put that package together. He was just introducing right. it and coming out of it. And she pushes back and he – and Fred shuts it down. Yeah. You're going to go out and do what you're assigned to. Um, and now well, it's – yeah. Champ is going to go take a run at the new girl. He goes up. There's some. Um, how would you describe this pass? Uh, I would describe it uh, like a drunken college frat kid stumbling into a wall. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, it seems to me that in the later years of the Me Too movement, Champ's in deep shit. Champ probably doesn't survive. No. Uh, no. No. Uh, because there's some accidental on purpose boob rubbage. Well, I and... think there's a drunk driving accident with Champ. <laughs> To be honest with you. Fair. That's or fair. falling off well, the stadium. Later on, we're going to see Champ has some other issues. Yes. That are uh, – but needless <laughs> to say – oh, and it ends with as he you know brushes her chest accidentally on purpose, she uh, goes, oh, let me get this over here and punches him in the nuts. Yeah, exactly. She's so, not going no, to be a woman to be yeah. pushed around. Well, and this is you know not unlike Mad Men. Mm. This is a movie that goes to a certain period yep. and condemns the – uh, the social mores of the day. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's Paul Rudd's turn. Brian Fantana. Mm-hmm. He's going to make his move. It's time to musk up. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a Sex Panther. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. It's made with bits of real panther, so you know it's good. 
It's quite pungent. Oh, yeah. Um, smells like pure gasoline. It's rather <laughs> pungent. <laughs> and, and then this is a great line. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, and here's the deal. Once again, the joke is what? You know this to a degree. There have been cologne back in the 70s and 80s that had these weird like designs to them to look sure. a certain way. So Sex Panther is a great parody of those old Absolutely. school colognes that your dad used to wear with the weird animals on them or whatever. Well, and to be clear, there are still people putting smells on themselves in order to get laid. Yes. And I have smelled some of those smells mm. and they are smelly. Yeah, I try to put only one dab on. I do do cologne every morning. I just try to do one dab on. But other people like douse themselves and it's mind-blowing. I have never been a cologne person. No, you never needed to be. I, I guess not yeah. because I'm so charming. Well, you've been with the same woman for 35 There's years. There's also that. Yeah. <laughs> you, didn't have, you didn't have to put out the pheromones. <laughs> uh, it's all natural. It's a, it's a little musk I bought on myself. <laughs> it's called Morris Musk. Sure. <laughs> it's illegal in 12 counties. Wow. Yeah. Only counties, though. Yeah. No. It, it hasn't passed across state lines yet. But if I go to, if I go to Stanislaus County, they, oh, they'll take me right out. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair Tough enough. county, Stanislaus. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but, <laughs> a little in, inside baseball there. But yeah, go ahead. The, uh, the Panther... Uh, scent does not go well. No, it does not. And he ends up being hosed down outside. I think that's a lineorama too. All those people walking by, yes. saying different things about what it smells like. It smells like Indian food in a diaper. It smells yeah. like uh, turd covered in barn hair. It smells like Bigfoot's dick. These are good. It smells like Bigfoot's dick. Yeah. Um, now it's Carell's turn to make his move. Uh, yeah. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. The pants party. There's a pants party. <laughs> I love, too, that when he finally exits, he runs away and falls down. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect because yeah. he's a child about this kind of stuff. It's brilliant. And I love that Veronica doesn't even get offended. Well, because, because she knows dealt- he's a dummy. Well, and she's dealt with this at her last news day. She exactly. knew that this was what she was yep, walking into. Yep, yep, yep. So she cut it, she cut, nipped it at the bud right off the bat. Brick, are you inviting me to a party in your <laughs> pants? I'm telling you, she is a real ball buster, a real ice queen. Mmm. I just burned my tongue. The only way to bag a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show. She hasn't seen the guns. The gun show. I love, you got to start, by the way, at 1001, 1002. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to lie to you. Lifting the weights, that's how, sometimes that's how clumsy dudes try to pick up women. Certainly in gyms and whatever. You lift the weights and try to act as if you're, you know, doing more than you actually are, which is what is so inherently funny about that scene. Oh, it's great. And none of this is working on her. You have your ubulus muscle that connects to the upper dorsimus. It's boring, but it's part of my life. I'm just going to grab this shirt if you don't mind. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you. And he says, look, my plan was to ask you if I could squire you about town, one professional to another professional. I know what it's like to be lonely in a strange city. And now she kind of a little bit hooked. Well, and Steve, there's your depth. What does that mean? I know what it's like to be lonely in a strange city. That means Ron remembers what it's like to be a young up-and-coming newscaster trying to make it, going to a new town, being ignored by people, having to adapt – uh, his behavior to fit within the norms of the male-dominated news anchor society. 
everything you said is true. <laughs> or, but, well, it's speculation. <laughs> I don't but, know. But if you're trying to say that Ron Burgundy has depth. <laughs> Ron Burgundy has depth. Because you know what? Well, compared to Brian Fantana and Brick, well, sure. sure. But I also think Veronica Corningstone, who's a woman of depth and intelligence, would not find a man who doesn't have that attractive. Here's what's interesting about the movie to me, mm. is that Ron Burgundy is essentially a moron with a particular set of skills that is charming at being the anchorman. And the way they set up Veronica Corningstone is that showed, no, she's a professional with right. professional journalism skills, right. but she is immediately swayed, as we're going to see by the jazz flute and the whatnot, mm -hmm. the silliness of Ron Burgundy. And, the, and so it's sort of like she is... By comparison to Ron Burgundy, she is deep. Sure, as a as a, you know, like a puddle of water is com is compared to a you know a, a light sheeting wow. of of, uh, of dew. So you're saying Veronica Cornerstone is not that deep? No, because she falls for Ron Burgundy, who is just not deep, who's a moron. But you know, smart women who've dated idiot guys certainly. That's but rite of passage. <laughs> no question about it. Yeah. Um, I've been that idiot guy sometimes <laughs> when I was young. And I've been that smart woman. <laughs> oh, hello. Uh, so anyway, uh, they decide that they're going to go do it. Yeah, and she thinks, uh, and, and and you know, and probably fooling herself uh, that like well, it's it's not a date, right? Of course. It's well, professional, well, professional. There seems to be some evidence that maybe his interests in her are not entirely professional in this scene, right. and that evidence exists in his crotchal area. <laughs> Of which he is pup he's pitched quite a tent. <laughs> I love her reaction She's so you're you're you've got an erection. I do? Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> well, this is awkward. I will see you later. And then finally don't act like you're not impressed. <laughs> Back of the news broadcast, we're continuing our panda watch and we end the scene. And he says, You stay classy, San Diego, and then he says I'm Ron Burgundy? Because someone put a question mark on the teleprompter. Fred Willer wants to know, who put a question mark on the teleprompter? You know, he's just going to read whatever you put in there. And Ron Burgundy will read whatever's there. Yep. And that is a classic movie plant, yes. screenwriters. To pay off, yes. And now it's time for our little date. It's not a date, Ron. No. Strictly professional. Doesn't mean we can't have fun. <laughs> Shall we? By, by the way, all of this was not shot in San Diego. It was shot in Glendale <laughs> and Long Beach. Oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ron gives his very knowledgeable spiel on the origin of the name San Diego. Mm -hmm. German, John. Yeah. I don't know if you – are you an original German speaker? Because you might not be familiar with San Diego's I'm, German origins. I am not. I am not. I believe it means the whale's vagina. Yeah, whale's vagina. San Diego is the other one that I remember. Yeah. What's that mean? What language is that? I think that was Spanish. Spanish? What, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that stand for? <laughs> Whale's vagina. It's man. also whale's vagina. I didn't know German was a, a romance language. Yeah, um, well, yeah right. We'll agree to gr disagree. Right. Um, we're at dinner. There's some silly drink ordering. She she says, when in Rome, he does not understand what that phrase means. Nope. And then he gets the request to play some jazz flute. And this is a great swerve by the movie. <laughs> right, because up to this point, as Steve Morris has pointed out to you on numerous occasions— up to this point, you think Ron's kind of a moron or, or you know, a simpleton, so to speak. Uh, and then he busts out this, like, Beethoven level of a skill on a jazz flute. 
Not just not just and not just musicianship. No, but performance. Performance. Flame throwing out of the jazz flute. Right. Walking on tables, drinking through the jazz flute. Yes. I mean, he is sliding under bathroom stalls. It's all there. He's a maestro. Yeah. Ends it with a little bit of uh, is it Aqualung? Yeah. Um, Aqualung. Hey, Aqualung. And who's digging the performance? Veronica. Veronica Corningstone is digging it. He's peacocking. And now the ice is kind of broken. It's later on. She thinks he was amazing. Mm -hmm. He says the jazz flute has always been a passion of his. And she asks, what other passions do you have? Hello. Look, I don't know a lot about women, but that seems to me to be a sign. Yes, it is a sign. So what other passions do you have, Mr. Burgundy? I have one great passion that, that lives deep within my loins like a... A flaming golden hawk to one day become a network anchor. Well, believe it or not, we share the same dream. And now we get to the point of like, if only you were just a woman and I was just a man. You continue to surprise me, Mr. Burgundy. And they kiss and then we're back at the apartment. Yep. Um, and <laughs> I love his lines. I'm storming your castle on my steed. <laughs> and she talks in Spanish and he says, wait, stop talking like that. I can't understand you. <laughs> and then take me to Pleasure Town. Pleasure Town. And then Tom Jones kicks in. <laughs> and animation. And Once again, unicorns. Weird, this weird kind of place that it goes, but it so fits within the fantastical world you've created because from it's the silly. beginning. It's yeah. silly. Exactly. Yeah. It's brilliantly silly. I, I love by the end, like, Look, the most glorious rainbow ever. Do me on it. <laughs> uh, it's after, and she says, hey, this is great. Let's keep this to ourselves. Right. Cut to back at the station. Veronica Corningstone and I had sex, and now we are in love. So he didn't quite keep it to himself. No. And <laughs> I love the guys ask, what is love? <laughs> And then they break into afternoon delight. Is that correct? Uh, it is. Well, because they're very confused about yeah. it. And the only way he has to explain it is breaking it. And by the way, that is a beautiful four-part harmony version of afternoon delight. Sky rockets in flight. Woo! Afternoon delight. Whoop. You guys have it, I think. Huh. Afternoon delight. Here's what I'll tell you. Tell me. I didn't know Afternoon Delight was about having sex in the afternoon <laughs> until I saw this movie. Really? I used to sing that movie song all the time. Never occurred to me. You didn't understand why your mom was giving you those weird looks? Said, wait, wait, to who? My dad? <laughs> Cut it out. That didn't happen in my house. All right. I took that too far. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> it crossed I, the line. I, it's all right. What I... What I I just didn't know because I just would sing Gonna Find My It was just fun to sing, right? I thought it was an innocent little song. I had no ideas about getting down... Uh, in the lunch hour. I certainly, because I knew, because, you know, you and I are pretty close to the same age, mm. and we heard it in the 70s. I certainly didn't understand it when I was a kid. Right. I was, I actually remember having a moment, probably in my 20s, where I went, wait, <laughs> afternoon. Well, like, right. I went to see Frankie Goes to Hollywood when I was in high school, and I didn't know what Relax, Don't Do It was about. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Later on, I was like, oh. Yeah. When you're going to come. Oh, yeah, I get it. Okay. You think go someplace when you're going to come. But yeah. no, no. No. That's right. not what they're talking about. You know, one of the sweetest experiences of my life was when I was living in Virginia, 
I ended up having this like uh, real quick fling with a girl who I'd met when I was uh, managing a bookstore, assistant managing a bookstore. I go to her house one night and she's there having like a little bit of a mini party with her roommates and stuff. One of the women there is one of the women from the Starlight Vocal Band who sang the song, who was one of the main female voices on the song. Of course, she's this grand dame, older lady with the, the, you know, long blonde hair with the gown. And she's holding court at the dinner table. uh, And I'm just like, just fascinated that this person, I had listened to this person's song. It was my first kind of brush with mini celebrity. And I remember being like a little bit like, wow, this is pretty incredible. Went upstairs and in the crowded room, made love to this blonde girl in her uh, room and then came back downstairs and we enjoyed the rest of the party. Very, very strange experience. Was it in the afternoon? Is there it any was chance not, it was in the afternoon? It was not, it was not. No, it was late at can, night. Can I tell you my weird first brush with fame? It was late in the evening. Yes, go ahead. It's not nearly as sexy as yours. <laughs> so my, after college, I worked in a copy store making copies. Mm. Uh, and this is a great, terrible job. And there was the guy who worked with me who was the assistant manager. And he was in his 40s and I was, you know, 21, 22. And he's a nice guy. And we talked all the time. And one day I'm driving uh, – and I'd heard that in the Marin County Fair, Davy Jones was playing – from the Monkees was playing the Marin County Fair. Right. And I said, God, that's got to be so terrible to be someone who was you know, a rock star and now he's playing county fairs. And he said, yeah, or it could be terrible to be someone with a number one hit who's the assistant manager at a copy store. Oh. And I said, what are you talking about? Maybe it wasn't a number. It's top 40 hit. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, have you ever heard of a band called the Bo Brummels? Yes. He was the drummer. The oh. song was Laugh, I believe. Yeah. And he was 14 when they recorded it. He couldn't tour with them right away because he was so young. And he had been basically a – toured then. It was – they had been on the Flintstones as the Bo Brummel Rocks. Right. And he had toured and then the band broke up and then he had been a working musician and he had, you know, hit the drugs and he had – you know, spun out and he had a kid and he was like putting it, turning his life around oh. and he got a job and he worked his way up to assistant manager at the copy store. And the moment of 22 year old Steve Morris collapsing in embarrassment over what had just happened was so terrible. <laughs> oh God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it. I don't mean to disparage you or and, Davy Jones or anybody. And also in the back of your mind, you're like, oh my God, I don't want to end up like this. No, but actually right? it was such a big, it was a, one of those, it was a really a big lesson for me because yeah. it, it made things, I was like, oh, that's what usually happens. Right. I mean, most of the people in one way or another that have their moment, because there's so many people who were the drummer in a band that oh, kind of sure. got somewhere mm-hmm. and then went nowhere, they end up the assistant manager at a copy store. Yeah. You know, I mean, you and I have both seen it. Like, people don't last that long. Yeah. And That's if true. you spend your money when you're 23, well, you got to go make some more money. Especially you if know? you get a kid. Yeah, you got a kid. One of the one, two of the best two of the weirdest ones is Creed is was one of those members of a sixties mm. band that had hits oh. from the office, the old dude Creed. Mm. He's he was a guitarist on one of those bands. And the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, he had two hits in the sixties right. as a singer and a guitarist for that for a band. I can't remember what the name of this, but they were songs that you would know that you've listened to all the time. And he you know, became one of the greatest managers in uh, professional wrestling history. You know, one that I remember from the cinephiles was in Hoosiers. The mm. guy who's the principal is the guy who recorded uh, uh, Purple People Eater. Right. You know, yes. it's like he's a one hit wonder. It's like, OK, now he's acting a gig. That's right. You know, yes, they alive. Um, we're at a cat fashion show <laughs> and the cameraman working for Veronica Cornystone. Seth, Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. A young Seth Rogen. Yeah. 
and she finishes her story. She does a very professional job. We f- go back to Ron in the in the newsroom, who says, "And that, of course, was our newest reporter, Veronica Corningstone. She's really great. I'd also like to share with you that we are currently dating, and that she is quite a handful in the bedroom." Oops. Yeah, <laughs> he's an idiot. He's an idiot. Then again, she's a fool for getting with this idiot. But you know, whatever. Well, I believe you just made my point from like 15 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> He's an idiot. That's fair. Okay. That's fair. Um, uh, and she's pissed, obviously. Of course. And, but then he gets very romantic. He says, I don't know what to say. I just got excited. I wanted to shout it from the top of a mountain, but I didn't have a mountain. I had a newsroom and a camera. Hmm. Look, I report the news. That's what I do. And today's top story in Ron Burgundy's world read something like this. I love Veronica Corningstone. And she kind of likes that. Yeah. It's kind of romantic. They are sitting, eating at the anchor desk. Um, and now we hear that they're going to go jogging. And Jogging. Jogging could be jogging. Something Dutch. And there's something about the pancake breakfast coming up. And the guys are not pleased. No. Because he's not going to be joining them. Right. And Champ, in particular, is falling apart. We need you. <clears throat> Hell, I need you. I'm a mess without you. I miss you so damn much. <laughs> I miss being with you. I miss being near you. I miss your laugh. <laughs> I, miss, I miss your scent. I miss your musk. You know, when this is all over, I think we should get an apartment together. And the looks from Paul Rudd. Oh, they're just great. <laughs> Because we've all been there when our one of our friends says a bit too much. Yeah. Uh, because they're inebriated or they're unsettled or whatever's going on with them. But I love what Paul says here because he says, uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you stop talking for a while? And then Ron falls up in, which is brilliant because he's speaking to the sports anchor. Why don't you sit out a couple of plays? Yep. Right? It's perfect. Uh, and then he says what he knows is going to happen. Yeah. I know that one day Veronica and I are going to get married on top of a mountain. And there's going to be flutes playing and trombones and flowers and garlands of fresh herbs. And we will dance till the sun rises. And then our children will form a family band. And we will tour the countryside and you won't be invited. I think it's a wonderful life moment when he's talking to uh, What's-Her-Face. Let's go upstairs. Let's go up on the mountain. On the, on the mountain. Oh, he's on talking the to, uh, yeah. What's Violet. Violet. Yeah, yeah. Let's take our shoes off and... <laughs> Run around kinda, in the grass. Kinda. Well, and he's not getting he's getting about as good reception from these guys as as uh, George got from Violet yeah, in that right. scene. Again, we get back to Fred and now his son is on acid and firing <laughs> a bow and arrow into a crowd. Um and she wants more challenging stories and he says, "Great, there's a 130-year-old woman in Chula Vista with a recipe for meatloaf." <laughs> um fortunately for Ro- Veronica, lack of littering in this area is going to change everyone's life forever. Ron's in a car. He's eating a burrito. He's with his dog. He gets he's singing. He gets tired of the burrito. He throws it in a biker's face who crashes. Ron gets out, and who is the biker? Jack Black. Yeah, I totally forgotten that yeah. he's in this movie. Um, <laughs> hey, bro, <laughs> did you just throw a burrito? You destroyed the only thing I love. All right, there it is. What do you love? I love poetry. And a glass of scotch. And, of course, my friend Baxter here. And Jack Black 
drop kicks that dog off oh, the bridge. I've never, and I remember being in the theater when that happened and just going like, oh no! Like, cause it's, <laughs> it's so, horrible. Oh my God, you're you got, kicking a dog off a bridge. Again, it's come up on the cinephiles many times. You could kill 300 people. You could kill 1,000 people. Oh yeah. You kill a dog. You drop kick a dog off a bridge. <sighs> that is terrible. Yeah. Um, uh, and by the way, because I hadn't seen it forever, I didn't remember what happens with the dog. <laughs> I was like, that dog is dead. And Ron certainly thinks it. Oh, certainly. Screams no, totally falls apart. Yeah. Back in the newsroom, where's Ron? Yeah. News got to go on. Veronica is ready to go. And everyone is a panic. It's never been a woman's anchor. It's interesting to me that Brian Fantana doesn't offer to anchor the news. Of course not. Yeah, he's not capable of that. Oh. And she, <laughs> Veronica's line is great. Mr. Harkin, this city needs its news. Oh. And you are going to deprive them of that because I have breasts? Exquisite breasts. <laughs> and then she says, Because I am good at three things. Fighting, screwing, and reading the news. Now, I've already done one of those today, so what's the other one going to be, huh? Screwing? <laughs> screwing. <laughs> and no, it's clearly fighting because she slaps him and pushes him. I love it. I love the way she slaps and pushes. It's so, they're so clumsy and yeah. awkward getting pushed away. Well, comedy oh, yeah. violence is its own yeah, whole yes. genre. Of course. <laughs> it's not supposed to look like Jackie Chan. Right. Wait, that is comedy violence. I Ooh, take that all back. Um, Ron calls in. Paul Rudd answers the phone. Ron has an articulate, clear, concise conversation. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the moment of, let me say something. Let me say something. And then you go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ronnie's got to put Corningstone on the air. Where are you? And then that's it. And now Ron is running. Yeah. We cut to the anchor desk. <laughs> Steve Carell looks at Veronica and says, you're not Ron. <laughs> Ron in 10. Good luck, lady. She gathers herself. Power, 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 power. Champ- oh, no, that's a great moment too, Steve. Yeah. Because it's like people accomplish things in life. And when you watch it in the movies, it seems effortless. Right? It seems... They're destined or predestined to achieve it. But here's actually an interesting moment in a comedy where you have a woman speaking powerful words to herself so that she can do this. Because you know what? No matter how great anybody is, there is a moment where they're by themselves or they're in their moment, a big moment, and they use whatever tactics they have inside themselves to calm themselves down and be ready to go and step up and grab the brass ring because the opportunity is here. I love it. We were literally talking about this off mic of mm-hmm. like all of us have moments where you're scared shitless. Yes. And you got to leave that shit in the trailer mm-hmm. in one way or another. And you, I know you've had these moments. I've had this oh, moments yeah. where it's like, all right, game's on. Yeah. And you got to let that stuff go. And that is a – I actually love those moments. Yeah. Like personally, I feel like I thrive. I was like, give me the ball. Yeah. You know, the getting the ball seems to be a really hard thing. <laughs> but like, like, but I've certainly had the power, power, power. I don't, right. That's not what I've said to myself. But like, okay, this is it. I can't it, even tell you. Yeah, go ahead. No, and it just, it just, and the big thing that I that is always in my head. It's like, okay, let it go. Yeah. Just let everything go. Do it. You know. That's what. That's what I when I meditate before the showdown. That's exactly. What, yes, I know it's a movie trivia competition, but it has a lot of stakes to it within. Within us who battle against each other and in front of live people. So that's the thing that I work really hard to do is to let go of the expectation. And if it if right. win or lose, to let go of all of it because that nothing's going to uh, make you stumble or fall or do worse than you being obsessed with the end result. 
Yeah. Right? Well, the, 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 the best, the easiest way to bring on that which you fear is fear. Is fear. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Manifested. Two deep things yeah. on the Anchorman podcast. Um, and uh, as Ron runs his back to the newsroom, desperately trying to get there in time, she's broadcasting, and Brian Fantana and Champ are doing everything in their power to buck her up, including Paul Rudd dance in the underwear and the tidy whities It's beautiful. And does she mess up? Does she break? Nope. She is perfect. And she even ends it with a great line. From all of us here at Channel 4 News, I'm Veronica Corningstone. And thanks for stopping by, San Diego. And the women in the studio love it. Led by Catherine Hahn. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Uh, and everyone kind of has to admit, that was pretty good. Yep. And at that moment, who walks in the door? All right, everyone. I want to talk to you about we can, we can do the news. Hold on. Everyone, why are we all standing around? Let's go. Ron, we just did it. Veronica filled in for you. What? And she's in her moment of pride. Yeah. Happy. Be yeah. happy for me. Yeah. This dream that I told you about has come true. You read my news? And she's like, I told you I wanted to be an anchor. And his line is, I thought you were kidding. I thought it was a joke. I even wrote it down in my diary. Veronica had a very funny joke today. I laughed at it later that night. <laughs> um, this is terrible stuff. <laughs> is, and he just rips into her. Oh, yeah. Calls her a scorpion woman. She broke, and she says, you broke my heart, Mr. Burgundy. And she walks out. Things are going to go downhill for Ron Burgundy. You know why? Because Veronica is a star. Yeah. Because guess what? The whole bunch of women out in San Diego who are really happy to see someone that's like them yeah. up on the screen. It's, am- it's amazing what happens with representation. I was trying not to use that word, but yes, that's no, exactly I what it is. I use that word. Um, and guess what? The ratings go up, yep. and it's time. They want Veronica to be co-anchor. This <laughs> does not go over well. Those videos they shoot are absolutely hilarious. All the promo shots oh, and the God. newspaper clips, they're great. Everyone looking down while she's looking yeah. up and vice versa. It's all just funny. Yeah. And we're back and they are broadcasting together. Yep. And Ron ends it with Stay Classy, San Diego. And thanks for stopping by. But mainly, stay classy. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy. I'm Ron Burgundy. Thanks for stopping by. Stay classy. And I love the I love the banter because the the sound cuts out and now on if we're watching TV we just see them nicely talking. Oh to my each other. god, this is great! Again, this is and this I've seen in the outtakes. There's yeah. so much of you know Will Ferrell just cracking her up. Mm-hmm. You're a real hooker, and oh. I'm going to slap you in public. Oh. <laughs> you have man boobs. <laughs> You've got a dirty whorish mouth. That's what you have. I'm going to punch you in the ovary. That's what I'm going to do. A straight shot. Oh, ow. Right to the baby maker. <laughs> uh, jazz flute is for little fairy boys. Okay, you know what? That's uncalled for. I can't work with this woman. Again, the guys are trying to mess with her. We're doing crank calls. They don't go over well. Mm. Uh, we're bribing the announcer to call her Tits McGee. Can't say tits on the on the TV. You can't. No. That's one of George Carlin's seven bad words. Is it tits? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Cox Southern motherfucker, ass, tits, fuck shit, fuck shit, Cox Southern motherfucker, ass, tits, and the C word. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, fair. There's one word in there I wasn't actually going to say. But the B word's okay. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, Because it's a female dog. Right. Yeah. And and actually, uh, uh, Carlin will tell you that cock you can say if the cock crowed three times. You (laughs) can say that. But you can't say. (laughs) I love Carlin, by the way. He's the best. He's the best. 
There's only one thing a man can do when he's suffering from a spiritual and existential funk. Go to the zoo, flip off the monkeys? No. Buy new suits. And they're heading out looking for the suit store, but somehow they've walked into a bad part of town. <laughs> we have entered, John, into a scene of such ridiculousness. Yeah. Such silliness. It's the West Side Story scene. It is so funny because, of course, first they run into Vince Vaughn. Yeah. And it's clear we're going to have some gang violence and everyone pulls out their weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brick has a hand grenade. Yes, for some random reason. But we don't actually start the fight because in the next moment, who walks up but the Channel 2 news crew? Man, led by uh, Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson comes up, and they want a piece of them. They all have weapons, too, but we're still not going to start because yeah. there's the PBS news crew. Led by Tim Robbins <laughs> in a with fanta- a pipe. And a fro. On oh, a fro. And, of course, a, I think he's got the tweed jacket with the arm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but still, it's not enough because then comes up Ben Stiller. Yeah. The Spanish language. The worst Spanish Jew you'll ever see, <laughs> Ben Stiller. So you're saying he does not get your reward of no. honorary Latino? He's in brownface. I don't particularly <laughs> like it. But, you know, it's a film from 2004, So, but Stiller is funny. So He is funny. That being said, I'm sure there were a lot of funny Latino actors who could have played that part. Well, but well, except here's okay. I'm not pushing back on the Latino representation <laughs> front. But what I am saying is that is there a Latino actor who is a – a guest spot. George Lopez would have killed that thing. Uh, maybe, but he okay. But he's not one of these guys. Well, Paul Rodriguez would have killed this. Thing. Maybe that's yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There's a, there were there are Latino actors that funny Latino. I, actors. You know what? I offer a full retraction. Cheech Marin would have killed this part. Oh, I would have loved to have Cheech. Right. Marin. So Cheech Marin is one of my favorite supporting actors. I mean, I, I, I solid. Guy. I can't think of anything that I don't like in him. Even in movies I don't like. Yeah. I always love Cheech Marin. Sure. We got some rules first. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. Of course. And that's it. Now let's do this. And then the violence, including a Planet of the Apes style horse attack with a net. (laughs) Owen Wilson gets his arm chopped off. And of course, Brick kills someone with a trident. Right. (laughs) So brilliant. It is some... And then we're back, and the police come, they all scatter, and we're back in the office drinking some beer. Ron says, boy, that escalated quickly. We killed a guy. We killed a guy. I saw that. <laughs> you really should lay low for a while. You should lay low for a while. You're probably wanted for murder. Maybe don't go on television. <laughs> Apparently, that doesn't have any consequences, no. though. Um, and, and now we're still, the big problem here, the reason they had this fight is because Corningstone is messing up their rep. Yep. And Ron says, last time I looked at the dictionary, my name's Ron Burgundy. What's your name? And they all say their names. <laughs> and I love that Brick says, Brian Fantan. No, you're Brick. Brian. I'm Brian. I... <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which is obviously an improv because you see Paul Rudd almost break, right? I, I'm sure. I can't imagine how hard it was to keep a straight face. Oh, yeah. If you were the if you're the dolly grip or the first AC or the second AC and you're just going, please don't. Please don't yeah, ruin a take. Right. Please don't ruin a take because you have no idea what they're going to say. Yeah, talk about sp- saying power to yourself over oh, and over. Power, 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 power. power. Don't, don't break. Say, don't, don't please break. don't break. <laughs> and uh, we got a new plan, which is Ron is watching his Emmy speech and not allowing Veronica <laughs> to get into the tape. There's a long list of insults. You are a smelly pirate hooker. You look like a blueberry. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? Well, you... Have bad hair. 
What did you say? And then we get to talk about comedy fights. Well, this is all brought on by the fact that she crossed the line when she attacked his hair. Oh, you don't you're do right. that to a seventy. I'm sorry, anger. I missed that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. What did you say? I mean, what if someone attacked your hair, John? Uh, I don't want to think about it. It's, I mean, I work hard on this hair. I, it's beautiful hair. Thank you. I admire. My hair is a mess. I wow. Mean, I mean, I it's have a very natural hair. It. It's natural na- cut. That's one thing we could say about it. Yeah, it's natural. Mine is. <laughs> As a hard work. <laughs> and, of course, in the midst of this violence, Steve Carell just starts screaming. <laughs> Mace comes out. Right. He gets maced. He right. gets the mace. He goes to mace her. Maces himself. Mm-hmm. There's some whipping with antennas. Which is great. Yeah. And then people stopping them. Yeah. Going, Let them work it out. Let, Let them work, work it out. Finally, they think Ron's going to win the fight. Right. Which is why they're trying to stop people. Oh, you're right. I hadn't thought about That's that. exactly totally why they're true. doing it. Yeah. Finally, Fred Willard comes in and kind of shuts the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. And we cut to a Mexican restaurant. I love I, – because my Spanish is not good. I had to look up the name of the Mexican restaurant, yeah. which is uh, Escupimos en, en su Alimento. Right. We spit in your drink. <laughs> and Veronica's with their ladies, and they let her in on the secret. Yeah, Ron's going to say whatever's on that teleprompter. Mm-hmm. Here's where she fights a little dirty. No, she's this has been bad. taking the high road the whole time. Yeah, and in this one moment, well, they've they've been fighting dirty the whole time. If someone continually right. and repeatedly fights dirty against you, is it dirty to fight dirty back? I don't know. Depends on what your moral code is. That's that is a fair point, but she. On the teleprompter, crosses off, stay classy. We're in the news <laughs> newscast, and he says, Go fuck yourself, San Diego. I love that moment because <laughs> she is, her eyes go wide open that it actually worked. Yep. And that he did it. Yep. And he's so oblivious to Doesn't it. Doesn't know what he, he said. He thinks he's had a great show. Yeah. He goes around, <laughs> like, ready to high five everybody. And yep. we cut to all the places we've been. We cut to the biker bar and the little kid and all of San Diego reacting to yep. what he has just done. Right. And they're going to have to fire him. Yeah. And he blames Veronica that she did. It doesn't matter because they're protesters outside. We got to fire you. I love his look when he watches it back. Yep. <gasps> oh, yeah. So and then we get Odin's beard. another. <laughs> Great Odin's beard, and we get. By the way, that is the level. That's the Will Ferrell silliness. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's and, and, and you think about like it's an interesting thing to think about is where do funny people go? Like, where's their go to place? Mm-hmm. Like Robin Williams would always go to his penis. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like each person will go to a different place for the funny. Like you can think of what Adam Sandler would do, what uh, what Eddie Murphy did. Like, where is their place to go to? Yeah. And Will Ferrell is Great Odin's beard. Yeah, like that's his place. That's where he um, And by the way, we have another uh, funny actor we haven't mentioned, which is Chris Parnell. Yes. Who now is so disappointed in Ron because Ron was his hero. Was. You're my hero, Ron. Garth, I... You come out with stink like that. Poop. Poop mouth. Poop out of your mouth. Garth, if I were to give you some money out of my wallet, would that ease the pain? I hate you, Ron Burgundy. I hate you. I love just the struggle to even say poop mouth. That that's hard for him. Crying is great. Outside is an angry mob. Um, and we get him through. And as Ron, now Ron's just walking the streets of San Diego and people are throwing things at him and mm. little girls are scolding him. And uh, and guess what? Veronica's the anchor. Yep. We got some promos with her. And Ron is home alone, drunk. Phone rings. Veronica on the other line won't speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I love that he thinks it's Baxter. 
Bark twice if you're in Milwaukee. <laughs> um, he's walking through the streets, chugging milk, drunk, I guess. On a hot day. I think milk was the wrong choice. Milk was a bad idea. It's a bad choice. And it's three months later, and Fred is again on the phone with his son, and he says, Chris, listen to me. Put down the gun and let the marching band go. We'll play it off as a prank. It's funny the jokes that don't play today. Yeah. You know what I mean? You would never do that joke today. Yeah. That's not a funny thing. Guess what, John? That panda? It's given birth. Yeah. Um, And... Veronica's going to go there. The network is going to be there. This is big, big deal. The reporters are all there, all the people we saw before, including Vince Vaughn, including Luke Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Tim. And Tim. All right. Ron is drunk at a bar, <laughs> singing Afternoon Delight. The bartender is Danny Trejo. Yeah. And, and Danny Trejo tries to settle him down, and he's bitching about this woman. And Danny Trejo says, you know, times are changing. Ladies can do stuff now, and you're going to have to learn how to deal with it. <laughs> and his response is, what? Were you saying something? Look, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> All right. Oh, terrible. Nice shots at the Latinos. <laughs> but it works. It's very funny in the context of the film. And well, Trejo and, is the best. Well, and 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 – to be clear, it's a shot at Ron. Yeah, right. Exactly. Trejo comes and says in perfect English in some perfect very English, wise, exactly. important things, and Ron is a moron is. and doesn't understand what's happening. Um, Veronica's looking for the perfect shot. She finds one over the corner, leans over the rail, um, and she's like, oh, this is great. And Tim Robbins comes up and says, hey, good job finding that great shot. You know, we at PBS, we believe in women's lib. You know he's going to push her in. Now, what, once again, when he pushes her in, what does he say before? Uh, we at PBS, so yeah. he, it's a shot at these people who overtly oh, 100%. claim to be all about women's rights, but in fact, behind the scenes, are not. And well, I am sadly aware of two people who do that in my sphere and talk negatively when they think they're in a safe zone. Well, and we can mention ones that have been very famous people. Oh, sure. That have been the you know champions of women's rights on camera, yeah. and then those people are not on camera anymore. Right. Exactly. Um, you know. So so it's not. And by the way. Tim Robbins was also in the middle of gang violence while smoking. That's true. His pipe That's too. a fair point. So clearly, not a good guy. Um, and what does he put her into? The Kodiak Bear uh, pen or, right. uh, or area. Now Fred's like the cameraman can't. Seth Rogen can't find him. Fred can't find her. You know what we got to do? We got to do something I don't want to do. Rocky's Bar Grill Fine Dining. Is there an anchor man there? And Ron gets on the phone. It's like, does this mean you're asking me to? Report the news again, and he's crying in totally incomprehensible blubbering, which Will Ferrell does great. And he says, "Well, I'll be down there. If I'm going to be down there, I got to look good." And we do the classic walk into the bathroom. Yeah. Door closes. Door opens. He looks great, pristine. But he can't do it without his crew, without his news team. Right. And he pulls out a conch and he blows it. And as we hear the sound echo across San Diego, it goes out over the mountains, the trees across the rivers. Rams look up. Animals move. Birds fly. And who comes out of the water but Baxter? Baxter. (laughs) And then he says, news team assemble. And... (laughs) <laughs> There's a subtitle under Baxter that says, Ron, I'm coming. <laughs> and then the whole news team is actually just playing pool in the yep. bar. They've been, been been there the whole time. Which they tell him. Look, I just got the call from Harkin. He wants me back. But I can't do this without my news team. I don't know, Ron. That was half a lifetime ago. We're different people now. And when you left, the hurt was so deep. I just don't know if I can go through that again. 
And he finally rallies the troops and they go, okay, they're going to go. They jump in the news van and they head off to the zoo. And again, they're now they're there looking for a position for the story. We see the network talent scout is there. Yeah. And then he hears Veronica and sees her down in the bear enclosure and he goes, what a terrible choice. The news anchor, the woman I love, the news anchor, the woman I love. What choice does he make? <laughs> to leap into the bear pit. <laughs> It's not a smart choice. It's not a smart choice, but that's Ron. He's Ron. But once again, this is why he's, you know, he's got a a little more nobility to him than you would think. Clearly a noble yet stupid decision. True, absolutely. And one that he says that he immediately regrets. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, I think we missed the point. We missed that spot where Veronica, when Veronica gets pushed in too. I think Christina Applegate does a fantastic job of starting to yell and realizing that if she yells loudly, they'll come after her more. Just great comedic stuff from uh, Christina throughout the whole movie when she's just like. (sighs) And this moment that she's trying to tell him in their last moments that she regrets what she did. And at first he thinks she's telling him that she didn't do it. Right. And then she tells him he does and he yells at her and those bears are waking up. Yep. We don't do a good job of keeping the hibernating bears asleep. And then someone, a woman up above, sees them in the bear pit and screams and now everybody sees them. Yeah. And those bears are awake, and they're starting to, you know, move towards them. And what does the news team do? News team, let's hunt. Yeah. And they all jump down in the bear pit. <laughs> we see some fighting. Brick is riding a bear. Hey, Ron! I'm riding a furry tractor! Luke Wilson is doing some broadcasting from up above. Yeah. Yeah, he loses that other arm. <laughs> God! God, damn ridiculous. I did not see that coming. <laughs> and then we realize that we've woken up the mama bear. Yeah. And they're all going to die. I don't want to die. And who shows up? Baxter. Baxter. And in subtitled dog slash Kodiak bear language, Baxter explains that he met a cousin bear in the yeah. wild and that these are good people. And the mama bear says, you're a good dog. And okay. And agrees to let them go. Yeah. That's some high-level silliness. <laughs> and the bears walk away, and Ron embraces Baxter like a long-lost love and continues to be affectionate with this dog. <laughs> right in front of Veronica, right? Far, far too long, and the crowd begins to chant Burgundy. Yeah. This is redemption, John. This is a true redemption story. There's no question about it. Absolutely. He comes up the ladder, and who's at the top of the ladder pushing the ladder away? His nemesis, Vince Vaughn, yeah. who says, I pure straight. But God damn it, do I respect you. He kisses him on the forehead. And he he gets on the camera and says, today we spell redemption R-O-N. Mic drop. The weirdest thing about that scene, that mo- that moment in the is that you find out they're brothers. You think they're actually brothers? Well, yes. Oh, I thought they, he was saying they're symbolic brothers. Well, because he says mother expects you home for dinner at six. He does? Yes. I never, I didn't get, I've only seen it a couple of times. So you go, well, what was, really, the, you're right. so what was the morning, what was the joke about Dorothy Mantooth when they ran into each other earlier in the film? I didn't pick this up at all. Yeah. So I'm sure you're right. I mean, you've seen it way more times than I me. I think I'm right. Well, I think, I, I'm not right necessarily, but I think I've got it. If a they point. say mother expects you home. Like, I thought they did, yeah. Um, Yeah, keep going. Sorry. And and now they say, okay, Ron, it's time for you to broadcast the story. This is Ron Burgundy proudly reporting once again for Channel 4 News. Today's story is one of the more remarkable things ever to happen to San Diego or even the world. But in order to properly retell it, 
I'm going to need some help from my co-anchor, Miss Veronica Coinstone. <laughs> Inbrick comes up. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, 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 Veronica. Ron, there are literally thousands of men that I should be with instead, but I am 72% sure that I love you. And now we hear like sort of the classic what happened to everybody. Right. Champ went on to become a commentator for the NFL and then fired for sexual abuse of Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> but do you notice that there's certain pe- people that are funny? Oh. Like you wouldn't say sexual abuse of Ronnie Lott. Right. No. That is not – that wouldn't be that, – that, that's not a funny joke. Ronnie Lott like you know Terry Bradshaw. But Terry Bradshaw is the joke. Bradshaw is a great yeah. joke. Yeah. Jim Plunkett? No. That's no. not – Nobody no, would No, no one make that joke. Yeah. Um, and then Brian Fantana went on to have great success on a reality show, Intercourse Island. <laughs> Anyone seen Brick? Brick is uh, cuddling with one of the bears, and he is married with eight children and became a top advisor in the Bush White House. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And we have a little subtitle of Baxter looking at Veronica saying, is she going to be living with us? Because I'm not cool with that. But Ron and Veronica, they didn't stay in San Diego long. And now we hear I chose them because this voice is actually the old network anchor. Yep. This is the Walter Cronkite who said I chose them uh, to as my replacement and they became the first mixed gender anchors, anchor people as they are still today. Yeah. And Ron uh, Burgundy ends it with his new sign off. And I'm Ron Burgundy. You stay classy, planet Earth. We go into credits. Carry on, uh, my you wayward son, with outtakes. Yeah, which are hilarious. Perfectly well done. I don't love the post-credit scene. Okay, I don't think it's all that funny. What do you like? No, I didn't like it either. I thought it was yeah. weird. It's just sort of weird and awkward. I'm like, why did you choose to do yeah. that? Because I think with the the outtakes and the credits, it's just killing it. Right. Yeah. Just stare at the desk would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've reached the end of Anchorman. And I think as many people are concerned, that is the end of Anchorman. Yes. There is uh, this uh, Wake Up Ron Burgundy that's some of the outtakes from this movie. There's Anchorman 2. There's Mm -hmm. the alternate version of Anchorman 2. Neither of which – I've seen none of these things. Yes. And I've heard I never should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You should never see the sequel. It's not good. Um, What's interesting though is that Will still pulls out Ron Burgundy every once in a while. He Mm -hmm. did it recently in the last couple of months. I can't remember what it was for. But he pulled out Ron Burgundy. Like he had pulled out – and one of the funniest things you'll ever find is Ron Burgundy auditioning for ESPN. If you find that YouTube video, that is brilliantly funny. Hmm. It's about seven minutes of him just completely like not understanding what he's supposed to be doing as a sports, an- <laughs> a sports anchor on the show like that. Um, the movie made $90 million. Mm-hmm. It was a solid comedic hit. Will Ferrell went on to make a string of successful comedies of you know varying degrees of uh, – Goodness. Yeah, sure. Um, as And this is what's normal for comedic uh, actors is that some of them are really funny and then they kind of become increasingly less funny. And uh, Adam McKay goes on to be an Academy Award winning director. Yeah, for the big know? short. Yeah. I mean that, that – you know, obviously a very smart guy who – and this is the thing too is that, you know, there's the old quote of, you know, dying is easy, comedy is hard. Comedy is really, really hard. And if you can be a person who really masters it – there's other stuff that ends up being easier in yeah. some way. And yeah. and the fact is Adam McKay has brought his comedy chops to his other films, yes. including Vice and, and Big Short. Oh, well, can I slide this in here? Uh, in a deleted scene from the first film, Wes is Ron's half-brother. Ah. So by extension, that also makes Dorothy Mantooth either Ron's mother or stepmother. So – they were half brothers at the very least. I gotcha. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for clarifying that important point. Yep. Um, do you have final thoughts 
on Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. I do. This is still one of the funniest films ever made. It still holds up uh, because the sexual politics are always going to be there between men and women. Sure. Uh, And so it plays that out so well. Um, I think the cast is incredible too. I mean, look at you've got Ant Man in this cast. You've got uh, the future head of the office in this cast. Yep. Uh, you've got Christina Applegate, who's still working nowadays. That recent Netflix series, uh, Dead Like Me or whatever it was yeah. called, is very very funny. Seth Rogen, who has his whole empire of his own, whole Absol- bunch of movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Chris Parnell is a fantastic voiceover artist, yep. always working. Uh, there's just so many people involved in this production that went on to become Catherine Jack Hahn, Jack Black, yeah. Jack Black. Catherine Hahn is considered one of the best character actresses working today. So so you've got so many great quality, talented people involved in this cast from top to bottom. Uh, you can't deny that this film is just uh, ha- had a lot going for it when you when it came out. And it has grown in people's estimation. It's one of these films that when you watch on TBS or TNT, that's where it grabs you and it pushes. This is like Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby, same thing. Right. Both both of these films were time bomb comedies in that when you saw them the first time, it, ex- it didn't explode on you. It took a little bit of time and then it exploded on you. Sure. So it's certainly something that I think you should go back and take a look at. And if you're writing a comedy uh, film or a comedy, uh, I would definitely encourage you to go back and read and watch this film and see how it how they play with broad comedy, specific comedy, but also how they push the story along within the comedy. So it's not just played for jokes. It's also played for character work and relationship building between the characters. And my advice is if you're writing or directing a comedy, you should definitely get an all-star cast of comedy geniuses to perform your material. Absolutely. You, that might go a long way. It yeah. really, really helps. Uh, here's my final thoughts. You know, um, there's a there's a lot of tendency to elevate certain kinds of films and degrade other kinds of films. So we think of the most important films as the dramas that are dealing with heavy topics that are emotionally resonant, that that are you know the world changing stuff, and then we put other films, genre films, and comedies down on a lower level. And you and I, from the beginning of this show, have have always wanted to be equal about it, to yes. give as much attention to comedies and horror films or science fiction or whatever it is as we do to those serious dramas. And here's why that's important. I've had a rough couple of weeks. There's a lot of stuff going on in my personal life, which I'm not going to go into. That's just been kind of fucking hard. Right. And I needed to watch comedy, you know, and I feel better. And so the idea of saying that these movies are important and these other movies are less important is not true, is that someone who can make you laugh for 90 minutes, that is giving you as valuable a service as and forget your life as somebody who makes you think about the important things mm-hmm. and, and deal with issues that change the way you think. That's great. But you know what? Sometimes you need to laugh for an hour and a half. Yeah. And Anchorman definitely made me laugh for an hour and a half. And sitting here with you for the last hour and a half has also made me laugh. Oh, okay. And I really enjoyed it. So so this, this is Same. part of why we deal with – uh, like why we love talking about films, why we like dealing with comedy. And while I really appreciate Will Ferrell and Adam McKay 15 years ago mm-hmm. cheering me up 15 years, years later. So that's what we think of Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Go to our Facebook page and leave some comments there. You could also visit, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you see a chance to review, review the show. It's really important. Honestly, our viewers have kind of leveled off lately, and so we really could use you guys going out and and drumming up some more business. Mm -hmm. If you love the show, and I know so many of you have been so supportive, please go out and tell your friends, tell your family. If you know movie lovers, 
tell them. Um, and the best thing you could do to support the show is, of course, going to patreon.com slash the cinephiles where you can pick your own film as three of our supporters did today or listen to our cinephile shorts. We just put out one, I think, on Silverado was the last yeah. one that went out. Yeah. And uh, you can buy Anchorman or any movie we've ever reviewed or stream it through Amazon Prime on cinephiles.net. And if you want to reach me, you can do it on Twitter at SR Morris and on Instagram at SR Morris one John, where can they reach you? You can always reach me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. See everything I'm doing there and all the podcasts and shows I've got going on in the world. And Smow Down. If you're in Orlando, I don't know. I guess we might drop this. Yeah, we're dropping this one this week. So <laughs> we're if dropping this one soon. Yeah, fair enough. If you're in Orlando uh, for the weekend of the 18th and 19th, I will be there with the Smow Down competing for the tag team championships again with Dan Merle against Count Mike Kalinowski and Chance Ellison. Uh, so come out and watch us. It'll be a lot of fun. And I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time with another great, funny, scary, interesting, moving, or challenging film on The Cinephiles. <laughs>